Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hi, I'm Neil Anderson. Welcome to Return to Real. Fun show today. I'm excited about this podcast. I'm an avid cyclist. I have been for years and years. And let's not say cyclist, let's say mountain biker. And when you're thinking about being a mountain biker or a cyclist, you can't do better in Salt Lake City than contender bicycles. So I went right to the source. Ryan Littlefield is here with us on the show. We're going to talk, oh, I don't know, Ryan. Let's talk mountain biking, cycling, all the new stuff, e-bikes for sure. How you doing, man? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. Hey, you guys run a quality outfit over there. I've loved working with you over the years. No, it's been fun to get to know you guys and your 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 group, your circle of friends, good people. Yeah, yeah, those guys are amazing <laughs> humans. Um, so are you guys. I like what you do. I want to talk a little bit today. You know, we're it's, we're sitting here in April, and it's about it's it's mountain biking season coming up. I mean, oh, and this is I would guess the best time to mountain bike. Pretty soon, yeah. Actually, not not mountain bike, buy a mountain bike. I heard Easter was the mountain biking time. Uh, it's, it definitely, I mean, we have some great deals coming up, and the, the all the new bikes are out, and there's still some good deals on, like, 2019 models and things like that. So, yeah, it's a good time. Can you even ask a, a, a bike shop owner what the best time to buy is? Because he just <laughs> asked, he'd just say right now, right? Uh, yeah, it never hurt. It's Better to get out there and do it now than to uh, wait and miss some good days riding, I guess. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like your thoughts on that. All right. I want to go into the new mountain bike stuff because I don't get the scene anymore. I've been mountain biking since 94. I bought my first mountain biker. It was a Gary Fisher Hukui Koo. It was a hardtail. I think it had a Rock Shock 21. Mag 21, yep. Yeah, the old Mag 21 on it. Dating yourself, Neil? <laughs> Not really. Nobody these days knows what in the world that was. Exactly. But especially since hardtails made a comeback, right? Everybody's riding hardtails again? Eh, not everybody, but they've definitely become more versatile, yeah. Will you bring me up to speed on what, uh, I guess, the types of mountain bikes are? And they've changed names because back in the old days, you had downhill and cross country. Yeah. We, we don't so much anymore. I guess mountain bikes, I always use skis as a comparison. They, um, to the untrained eye, they still look kind of like a mountain bike, but to somebody who knows what they're looking at, the bikes have changed immensely in the last, say, 10 years. Um, and 
instead of like you said a cross country and a downhill bike now there's this full like gamut of things in the middle right and so you know i'm the one kind of extreme uh efficient side of the spectrum it's the cross country bike and that might on the might be the hardtail with you know front shock and super light like a bike those the new hardtail are as light as like people's road bikes were 10 or 15 years ago right and and then on the other end of the spectrum is still downhill but along the way now there's all these kind of different steps and uh, i would say like the trends you know over like the last say like five years are one single chain ring drivetrain so one chain ring up front and 11 or 12 speeds on the back so that just makes it more simple um it makes the progression of gears easier and just a whole lot better for every all types of riders do we still call them cross countries are they still yeah. called cross country yeah, bikes for sure yeah and then the next like the next step from cross country that has a little more travel and just a little less emphasis on being super duper light would be what they would call trail so maybe you add close to an inch of travel Typically, the trail bikes would have like a dropper seat post, something that just that allows you to easily adjust the seat height for changes in terrain and just being more confident on downhills. Okay, so just to bring everybody up to speed, we're doing this via Zoom. Generally, we go go in the studio and we do this. We're doing this by via Zoom because we've all had to social distance <laughs> from each other, and sometimes the connection isn't that good. But so, sure. Zoom has got to be overloaded right now. Yeah. I've I've noticed that it actually is. <laughs> so we've got we got basically four types of mountain bikes. We have the I bought a Cannondale from you a, yep. a few years ago. That carbon Cannondale that I love, that scalpel, and it's got about four inches out front and back. But things have changed in the last five years. You don't you wouldn't even sell me that bike anymore, would you? Uh, it wouldn't be far from that. It'd be something just a little bit more travel, like five inch travel. But the geometry is different too, right? For sure. So the bikes have become a lot less. Um, they used to be, I would say the new geometry are less twitchy. They're more stable. It's like, um, and then they also, the other trick is as they add more and more travel, how they make those bikes still climb well, right? And they, because uh, as, you're, as you're going up like a steep incline, more and more of your weight's on the back of the bike. And that, in the old days, I would make the suspension sag more and more and sort of like a snowball effect to making it a bad climber. But they've, they've figured out a lot of that stuff. So even these, like, five-inch travel bikes, you know, they, they still climb really well. They're maybe not quite as light as, like, a high-end four-inch travel bike from two years ago, but they're pretty dang close. That, uh, that bike you sold me is a mountain goat, that Cannondale. I love it. It's a great bike. Um, and, and I would have thought that left me. So it's, I, I like it because it's got these, it's got a weird look to it. It only has one fork. It's not even a fork. So it's got one side of a fork that I ride around with. And people look at it and be like, hey, I think your bike's broken. I'm like, you're wrong about that. And I think it's the best riding bike I've been on in a long time. And I thought that was a pretty cool innovation. What are some of the newer innovations? Is there anything sort of like that now? And definitely suspension designs are. Uh, evolving and progressing there's a there's a local company that has a really unique fork called trust they're actually kind of i think 
they're going to be on ice a little bit here while this thing pans out. Um, but uh, for the most part, the suspension looks similar. The, the, the upgrades or the changes would be um, way more intricate control of the suspension. So there's like at the high end, Fox has a thing called live valve that has accelerometers and everything in it. And it knows if it's going uphill, it knows if it's going downhill, it knows how fast the shocks are traveling and it can adjust for all that stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, it's probably not necessary, but it's a pretty <laughs> neat feature. <laughs> yeah. Who are the movers and shakers now in let's just say the mountain bike, because I want to talk about all the different types of bikes, yeah. e-bikes, but let's not go there yet. That's my, that's my favorite new subject. I've, I've been passed by these e-bikes and I'm, I'm just so fascinated because it looks to me like the funnest thing for me, well, it doesn't look to me like that. The funnest thing for me is going downhill on a mountain bike. Yeah. I thought if I could go uphill faster, it would be funner. So I'd like to get to that e-bike thing, but let's go back to regular bikes right now. Who's, Who's who's the most innovative right now? Who's who? Who are you a big fan of right now? I mean, the, the two brands that we have that are, I think, at the front end of mountain bike. Um, obviously, we we don't sell specialized bikes. They're a strong competitor. Trek's a strong competitor. Our two big mountain bike brands would be uh, Scott, which is their U.S. operations are based right here, um, and then Santa Cruz is the premium kind of mountain bike brand in the country. They, they started from like a little grassroots company to being the probably the most powerful company in mountain bike, at least in North America. And it, what's cool for us is um, those two brands come at various solutions from kind of two different point of views. Scott tends to be more on the uh, lightweight and hyper-efficient kind of more race mindset. Santa Cruz comes at it more from like a make it ride the best and if it's a little extra weight or whatever, who cares, but they still make all those different categories of mountain bikes. And so we're lucky to have two really good partners on the mountain bike side of things now. Yeah. When the guy's trying to decide on those types of bikes on any sort of a bike, tell me, tell me what goes into that decision. I'll bet you get that question 100 times a day in your shop. I want to get into mountain biking. How do I pick one? Yeah, it's hard. It's, I mean, that's, hopefully where we can help guide them through the process, but um, where you're going to ride it, what are your riding abilities, you know, how, so how you see yourself using it is a big part of it. Um, and then, you know, even if you narrowed it down to like a certain type of bike and you're looking at two or three different brands, at some point you just got to get on them and ride them and see if, you know, you, I always say like, you know, you can go test drive three cars. You don't have to be a race car driver to tell that you like one better than the other, you know, and that, that holds true here in some capacity. But, um, like, just being able to ride them. And, I, I, again, we we try to – we have demos and all that, but also our staff internally tries to ride a bunch of bikes and be able to help guide people through that process. Yeah, that's my favorite part about Contender is everybody in there rides – everybody in their ride. So when you're asking questions down there, they'll, they'll tell you. So in fact, I've ridden loaded with one of your people. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great time. He's a great kid. Yeah, for sure. I liked him. 
Um, yeah, so we uh, we're trying to trying to decide right now between that that bike tire. So what, to guide me through the whole twenty seven point five twenty nine er argument. Yeah, so I mean it's still evolving, but twenty. I would say like obviously there was a period there where twenty nine had pretty much taken over the mountain bike world. And then 27 kind of came back into the fold. Um, and, and then 27, all of a sudden, also became, there was a wider version of 27, which they call plus for, so it's like a 2.6 or 2.8 wide tire. Um, the 27 by like, say, 2.2 inch tire has sort of become, in most situations, become driven by like a smaller rider someone who's like five foot tall just and they struggle with a 29er bike that's where the narrower 27 inch tires still have a place but um so both 27 and 29 like if there's a theme it's wider and wider tires which means more traction more control of your braking the ability to run like lower pressures um so a little more compliance over little bumps and small chop and touch. Yeah. So I'm a fan of, I'm still a fan of 29, but I also, I would prefer like a wider tire. I sort of say, put the widest tire, it'll fit on your bike. And 26 is just dead now. You can't even buy one. Pretty much. It's, it's become like a, it's the size for maybe a kid who's 12 or 13 years old who's sort of, in that gap between like kids bikes and really small adult bikes. And even that is almost gone because the 20, a really small 27 inch bike is barely, barely bigger than that. When everybody was going over the 29 point or the 29 from 26, um, they were worried about whether those 29s could hold up. Are they, are, are they, are they stronger now? Is that even a concern anymore? Not a concern. Yeah. I mean, there's, Really, the only concern I think on 29 would be again that five foot one, five foot two person, especially on a full suspension bike. It's just going to be hard for them to have the standover height that they're used to having on an old 20, especially an old 26 inch like hardtail. But when you have all the guts of the bike, all the suspension linkage and things like that in there, it's a little tricky to get all that in there and still accommodate a rider who's got like a 28 inch inseam. So, um, okay. So smaller people, 26 or again, can we still buy those from you or do you have to special order them? Uh, you get 27. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this makes me laugh. What about, what about types of bikes now? We're talking about steel. We're talking about carbon. When I was, when I had just started out my creme de la creme, the thing that I wanted the most was titanium. I wanted a titanium frame, titanium framed, Garvin, I think, is what I wanted. I, do you remember the old linkage forks? It was called a Proflex. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was my ideal. Is titanium yeah. the cool stuff? Are you still – is everything gone carbon? Most everything's carbon. I mean, there are a few guys doing titanium and mainly, like, hardtails. Um, uh, all the high-end bikes are carbon, and then you'll see kind of the second tier – our aluminum frames and you know those are good bikes too like on a road bike a carbon frame makes a big impact on the ride quality 
on a mountain bike, the carbon frame pretty much is a weight saver. Like the ride quality is coming from tire setup and suspension setup. And for sure, a carbon frame can still be two pounds lighter than, you know, an aluminum frame of the same design. Okay. I like those aluminum still. Um, and I guess maybe that would apply now. And I don't want to get into this because once we go road bike, that's a whole it's a whole other show because then we got to get into things like gravel bikes and tire yep. size and, yep. and frame components and such. Yeah, for sure. When I'm buying a mountain bike, talk, talk to me about those fat bikes. What, what's that whole thing about and why? Well, again, like tire, <laughs> tire sizes have also like run the gamut, like fat bikes, which around here is that term maybe is synonymous with like snow bike. It's a four or five inch tire. It's pretty much all about flotation in like a really soft terrain, like snow or sand or something like that. And that's primarily what they're used for around here is snow. Um, they're heavy, heavier. There are a few people that would use them as their everyday bike, but it's it's uh, it's not the ideal solution in my opinion for like your everyday bike. But the the, the next tier down, like what I was referring to earlier, is like plus plus bikes, they have maybe like a 2.8 to 3.0 wide tire. Those have gotten really popular too. The worst experience in my life on a bike in the history of my life happened on a fat bike that we rented from you. Yeah. What happened was D-Dub got the idea that we were, it had just snowed, and he yeah. got the idea that these fat bikes, and this is going back about a decade, but he was like, you know what's cool? He goes, those fat bikes are awesome. We should go rent some and ride them up to the rock, Elephant Rock, up Mueller Park Canyon. And we had all missed it, and it had just snowed maybe three or four days before, so the trail wasn't super packed down. And we got about an hour into that ride, and we were throwing those bikes. We didn't damage them because there was too much snow, but we were throwing those bikes down the trail. We were so tired of them. Yeah. Hardest moment of my life. Luckily, now there's more people out using those things than the – they're even they have like grooming equipment for the trails now, like in Park City and in Draper, they're doing a really good job of grooming the trails and they're super fun. It looks like I always say it looks like a sledgehammer, but it's a it's a finesse thing for sure, because you have no traction and your so your brakes are super sensitive and you have to pedal really smooth or the tire breaks free, but it's definitely for a certain crowd. <laughs> we had we had the idea that we were just going to jump up on the trail and we were going to ride it like it was the middle of summer. I didn't realize that it, take that, that it took that much finesse, that yeah. it would take that much knowledge. Not to mention, you need a bit of a trail, right? Like we, we had just had people walking up there and they'd mesh down about one foot, maybe nine full inches of trail. Yeah. And man, we were riding on the dome of the trail the whole way and we're going off the trail. It was it was really tough, but coming down was a blast. That's yeah. I, I got to give it credit for sure. So the whole point there is just loose stuff. Yeah, flotation. Yeah, and loose so the tires. Like you know, in other parts of the country, fat bikes would have studs on them and things like that. Here, it doesn't. You know, the snow doesn't freeze hard enough to really need that. So it's all flotation and just having like big paddles for traction. Cool. Ryan, I got to take a little break. I want to come back and talk about e-bikes because the last fat bike that I saw was an e-bike and I was super intrigued by that. And I want to get to the bottom of that because there's weird stuff to know about it, including legislation. Most folks don't understand that you can't ride every trail 
on right. those yet. I want to hear your thoughts on those. Um, and I want to know if you guys are still open. Can I even come into your place? Don't answer that yet. We'll come back to that. You're listening to Return to Real right here with Ryan Littlefield out at uh, Contender Bikes. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil Anderson. You're listening to Return to Real right here on KSL. I'm speaking with Ryan Littlefield right now, right now, owner of Contender Bicycles. Contender is, in my opinion, a top level, the very best. It's the only place I'll buy my bikes, and I do it on purpose, mainly because they have such great service. Um, these guys know biking. They are all cyclists, and they have the best brands. They really, truly do. That's not saying that other people have worse brands. They don't, but I like I like what you can get down at Contender, and I bought a lot of bikes from these guys. Anyway, Ryan, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Well, when we went to break last time, we were talking about e-bikes. The last e-bike that I saw was a fat bike, and I thought, that's the ticket. That has to be the thing, because now we've got big tires. His was full suspension. The guy that I saw had a full suspension. He probably had three or four inches out front and back. I don't know. But, you know, those tires are going to give you a little bit. And then it had E. Let's talk about those e-bikes. Do, do you guys have e-bikes? We do. And it's a, as broad a spectrum as all the other bikes. Our e-bikes become the same thing. You have everything from, like, a commuter bike to e-road to e-mountain to e-fat bikes and everything in between. Yeah. It's not just a motorcycle either. Like, you can get on an e-bike. And it only gives you what you're pedaling. So the, the thing I think that most people don't completely understand is um, they work a little different. Will you walk us through that? Yeah, so most of the, uh, whatever, for lack of a better, maybe the guidance or most of the kind of the, the way e-bikes have kind of been developed, luckily has come from it already happening in Europe. And so... Um, They've kind of established a lot of, like, the guidelines and whatnot. Um, all the e-bikes that you're going to see at a bike shop um, are what they would call pedal-assist bikes. So, for lack of a better thing, it's uh, pedaling is like turning the throttle on a motorcycle, right? You have to pedal. The minute you stop pedaling, the assist cuts off. Um, then how much assistance it's giving you is based on some algorithm of, how hard you're pedaling, how fast, how fast your cadence is, and how fast you're going, and it's programmed to to give some assistance to you, you know. And so, um, if you want to ride and get a good workout, you can do that. If you want to ride and you know start off easy and finish hard, you can do that too. It's really it's pretty neat. Um, so, yeah, I was blown away by that because there seems to be an inverse property there. Um, the faster I wanted to go, the harder I had to work. Yeah. It felt to me like when I was up on the boulevard, I was trying an e-bike out up there, 
and I was wanting to storm this hill. And it's the, the faster I was going, the less assist it was giving me. Yeah. So they have like, they all have governors in them. So most of the e-bikes are what you would call a class one. All the e-mountain bikes are class one. So that means they won't assist you over 20 miles an hour. And some of the e-bikes you see people ripping around town on commuting to work and whatnot are either class one or class three. Class three will go 28 miles an hour. So like maybe somebody who's got like a 10 or 15 mile commute, a class three is a, a nice advantage. But um, as far as like riding on the trails and riding in the dirt, all those bikes are class one. So 20 mile an hour limit. It's hard to get them up to 20 miles an hour, though. It's, it's not what you think. It isn't a yeah. motorcycle. Yeah, yeah you're just coming back go. down the trail, you're already going that fast. So the motor, you know, like somebody who's an intermediate to better rider, they're not even tapping into the e-assist, you know, on, on a downhill, and they're probably barely tapping into it on a, you know, a really nice, flat, smooth section of trail. I was blown away when I was riding one. I haven't ridden one all the way very far yet, but I was blown away how much more fun it made my ride. I love going downhill. I love the speed. I love the flow of it. And I thought going up the hill with a little bit of electric assist took some of the, well, of course it took some of the pain, but I thought it increased my, my enjoyment a lot. For sure. I mean, it's, I totally get that for a lot of people. A lot of people who are riding mountain bikes, part of the enjoyment is the physical strain and, you know, the, um, but that being said, you can still get a good workout on these bikes. It is a little different for sure, but, um, I always kind of joke around in the store that like pretty much no matter where you go on a mountain bike around here, if you're on a regular mountain bike, the first like five minutes or 10 minutes of every ride is like some cardiac arrest type hill you know and so ryan what is it with cyclists i don't understand these people because they won't just turn and go in the prettiest places in the world they will wait till the very worst day the coldest the wettest the muddiest the saltiest and then they'll turn that stupid bike and they'll go straight up a hill and don't get them they just love pain it's weird i think it's part of whatever had made cycling appeal to them is whatever wired them to be like that is also what wired them to pick the steepest hill or the worst road or whatever. Yeah. I think that's why this e-bike thing has me just spinning. I love the thought of it. Do they have enough range? Can I ride it all day? You can ride it for most of them for five or six hours, you know, with, with if you know, if you're used to riding, if you obviously the thing that challenges the batteries is the more climbing, you do the more you put load on the battery and then the heavier the rider same situation but uh like i i've been out on one for four hours three and a half hours with the intent of still getting some exercise and um probably barely got halfway through the battery so just depends how you're using it and where you know where you're using it but now there's there's a lot of new things coming where they have like maybe a way to swap the battery easy. There's even companies making like really cool backpacks to carry your backup battery or a rack to carry the battery, but, um, or like some sort of piggyback system on the bike. Um, but really like you'd have to be doing something pretty epic to need more than the, the battery that's on the bike. Yeah. They don't leave you hanging either. You can just pedal them back if they run out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
they're heavy and you know like but you you'd have you have to just be a little bit aware of what's going on and you should be good to go yeah, yeah. what is uh the coolest innovation in your opinion right now in all of biking what do you like and and let's not limit it to bikes let's go gear what what's your favorite thing right now i don't know i think i know we we're kind of focused on mountain bikes today but gravel bikes have definitely um kind of opened up this new kind of world of riding we we and especially in the west well i mean all over the country, there's a lot of good places to ride a gravel bike, but I think there's a lot of folks who maybe got hooked on road riding, you know, in the last like 10 or 15 years. And this is a way to kind of keep doing that, but maybe get off the streets a little bit. Um, there's a lot of good dirt roads and things like that around. Um, I think that's a cool, I think it's a, it's a new thing. It's fun. Maybe that's part of the appeal to me, but um, the bikes have gotten so awesome. Like the shifting and everything is so good. Yeah, I love that. I love those gravel bikes. I, I got a little scared out on the road. I haven't been on the road for two years. So I don't go on the yeah. road anymore. There, it's a little sketchy out there. Not always. I think it's just me. I, it hit it hit me in a in a bad way one day, and I haven't been back. And I think that gravel bike thing. I do miss my road bike, and I think yeah. that gravel bike thing is kind of the way to go for me next when when I do go back to road biking. Yeah, super fun, and you can they make pretty dang nice. It's sort of like a it's like an SUV of bikes, right? Like it's, if all you ever did was ride it on the road, it's a pretty awesome bike, but it also has the versatility of, you know, doing stuff that on the dirt that you might not want to do on your mountain bike. It seems to me like it's got a little more versatility than I gave it credit for at the beginning. Just I've seen those things in places that I wouldn't have thought they could get and people are doing fine. Yeah. And you can, if you, if, have a little more finesse and whatnot you can you could ride them on most of the mountain bike trails up here you probably wouldn't want to ride them on the mountain bike trails in moab and that's the place where they struggle is like big embedded rocks and little drop-offs and things like that but on just like Mueller park type trails or dog lake type trails they're fine the position that you ride in is maybe not ideal for coming down one of those type trails but you could definitely ride all that stuff Seems to me like they're as good as anything I was riding 20 years ago when I started or 26 years ago, at least. Um, deals on bikes right now. You guys, let's, let's talk about, are, are you guys even open? Can I come in there? Yeah, so we're doing, um, we're, we're fortunate that we're considered an essential business because a lot of people are using their bikes to get to and from wherever they're going. And um, so we are open. We're doing like all our repair pick up and drop off outdoors. So we have like some people set up outside. So um, that works really well. And then we're also doing like kind of local pick up and delivery as needed. And then as far as like coming in the store, we're sort of doing it by appointment, which more or less means we're trying to limit the number of people that are in the store at any given time. So if you just drove up to the shop, there's just someone there just trying to make sure that there's not too many people in the store at one time. So we're, we're just trying to be respectful of everyone's safety and health and take, you know, taking this thing serious. So you guys kind of have a bouncer. A, yeah, he's, he's actually pretty good at it. He has a military <laughs> background. So he's real. Yeah, no, he's good. It works really well. Actually. It's kind of interesting. Well. Well, it must be tough kind of doing business like that. I know, uh, I love to go in and browse for sure. Yeah, 
that's the only part that kind of sucks is you can't really kick tires with this thing, you know, and, and we, we're happy to bring bikes out and let people test ride them and then kind of have a protocol for like cleaning the bikes and cleaning the grips and stuff as bikes get passed back and forth between our staff and the people. But anyway, we're just trying to be as careful as possible, which is well, that's why people should go to a bike shop anyway. I'm a big proponent of the local bike shop. Um, I think there's a lot of folks that think they can go online and buy all of the stuff that they want. I've had a few friends try that and fail at it pretty miserably, ended up taking it to the bike shop to get the thing set up. But um, it's better to go down and kick the tires. You want to be able to ride your bike and get it set up and have some expert help you. Yeah, I think so. I think like, for sure, there's some good deals out there online, and there's some companies that, you know, only sell online to make good stuff. Um, that being said, I think, like, I'm always like, always being super aggressive with how we buy bikes, and if we see you get offered, like, a, in a lot of situations, maybe the new model year, the only to change is color, and if I can buy the last year's model on a better deal, I'll do that, and if I can do that and pass those deals on, we can compete from a value perspective, just purely on like what the bike is and what the price of the bike is. But then you add that whole other basket of goods that comes with dealing with a local shop from how you set it up, how do you fit it, kind of like um, post-purchase adjustments and things like that. And I feel like we have a strong kind of value proposition to compete on. Yeah. I got a buddy that was a really uh, mechanically minded type, kind of like me, but he bought himself a Pinarello frame. I don't even think he got a good one. I think he bought one online, and I, I know it broke, so I don't think it came from the Pinarello shop. Yeah, there's he a lot was, of fakes out there for sure. Yeah. We see them all the time, yeah. He thought he was going to bring it, and I, I'm not making fun of him. It's, it's you know, it's uh, we all would have made this mistake. Unfortunately, he paid for it, and what happened was he – he got it home. He started setting it up, and it turns out they're a little more difficult than uh, he he thought, and they take a lot more tools than he thought. And uh, he ended up bringing it to you guys to get it put together. Yeah, a lot of the as the bikes have more and more like internal cable routing and things like that, the assembly of these things is definitely more. It's a it's a more extensive process for sure, and so. Um, it's a challenge for us just to keep up with all the things, let alone somebody who works on their bike, you know. I know. I know. Um, I love it. I think that people need to come down. I'm I'm going to come down again. I'm in the market for another bike, so I'll be down soon and get another one. And you are open. What are your locations and how do I find you? So Salt Lake City, we're at 989 East, 900 South, and uh, Salt Lake City is open 9 to 7, Monday through Friday, and 9 to 6 on Saturdays. We have a location in Park City at uh, 1352 White Pine Canyon Road, just by the Catholic Church on 224. Um, yeah, you can see that just up on the right-hand side as you're going toward Park yep. City. Yeah, right after you pass the canyons, kind of exit or the light at the canyons, about a quarter mile down on the right-hand side. That store is closed temporarily just because Park City was such a kind of a COVID hot spot. Um, uh, we just decided to put that place on ice for maybe like a month and then revisit it as things warm up and as Park City's uh, exposure to the virus kind of tapers down and getting close to there now, but not quite. Yeah. Cool. Um, can I buy stuff from you guys online? 
Absolutely. Just at contenderbicycles.com. We do a lot of, you know, business all, all over the country. Um, but also, like now with this going on, we'll deliver stuff. We can do it online or do it on the phone. Um, we're making kind of a, round, a trip around the valley, it seems like, every day now and uh, delivering things and just, again. Contenderbicycles.com. I appreciate you spending some time with us and kind of walking us through mountain bikes. Will you come back on another time and then we'll talk yeah, about some yeah. of the other bikes? Let's do it. It'll be fun. All right, cool. Ryan Littlefield from Contender Bicycles. Folks, you've been listening to Return to Real right here on KSL. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.